2: All right, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. The Edmonton Oilers, two points out of a playoff spot that will not change today because there's only one game in the NHL. It's about to get started. The Rangers hosting the Hurricanes. Will he stay or will he go? We will discuss the future of Edmonton Eskimos quarterback, Mike Riley. Could he soon be former Edmonton Eskimos quarterback or is he going to stay and pursue being perhaps the greatest player in the history of the franchise? CFL agency kicks off on Tuesday. Uh, of course, you've probably seen numerous reports today that the Eskimos gave Riley permission to speak to other teams. And uh, most of us believe this is a two-horse race. Is he going to stay in Edmonton or... Could he go closer to his off-season home in Seattle where his wife spends a lot of her time and sign with the B.C. Lions? Brock Sunderland sat down with Morley Scott this afternoon. We will get to that interview. The Oilers will play tomorrow against the San Jose Sharks. It's a 3.30 face-off show here on 6.30 Ched, and the game at 5, an earlier-than-usual start for a Saturday home game for your Edmonton Oilers. They will take on a team that has absolutely thrashed them the last two meetings the San Jose Sharks the Sharks are coming off a win over the Calgary Flames last night Edmonton meanwhile grabbed the win in Minnesota with a fine goaltending
3: performance from Cam Talbot the guys were battling really hard in front of me all night Um, anything that was uh, in and around the blue paint I thought we did as good a job as we've done all year clearing out and Picking up sticks, boxing out their big guys, and they do a lot of uh, just sifting pucks through from the point and um, always having a guy in the eye. So we did a heck of a job in front of our own net last night, which was huge.
2: Well, um, a much better game overall for the Oilers. Now, they played a Minnesota team, missing a couple of top players and who have been very up and down themselves this year. But you got to start getting some points here. And Edmonton, oddly enough, much better on the road, especially over the last six weeks, than they have been on home ice my name is reed wilkins thanks a lot for joining us tonight inside sports on oilers and eskimos radio 630 chad man we got a lot to get to tonight gord ash will also join us former general manager of the toronto blue jays he's going into the canadian baseball hall of fame we'll kick it off though with our weekly guest former nhl goaltender now with the nhl on rogers it is my good buddy kelly rudy kelly how's it going
1: Well, I'm fantastic, Reed. I just got to my hotel room in Toronto because of all this uh, cold weather across our beautiful country. But I was thinking, when you mentioned about Mike Riley, potentially leaving the Eskimos and wanting to be a little bit closer to Seattle. I know a city about three hours South of uh, Edmonton that might look pretty good if we lose uh, Bo Levi Mitchell. How's that sound? I don't think Eskimo fans would like that very much.
2: though. No, it, it'd be, it'd be, uh, it's going to be tough if he leaves. And I, I do want to say it's still an if we can debate the percentage, but I, I think that would be even harder. Well, maybe Bo Levi would come here. Maybe he won't go to the NFL. Maybe he'd come to Edmonton. <laughs> that, no, that would be crazy. Like that would be the craziest scenario. If that right, ever happened, it
1: would. But yeah, th- I don't think that would fly.
2: No, and I, I don't think that's that's going to happen either. But there could be some uh, musical quarterbacks here in the Canadian Football League. It's going to be interesting to watch. I won't say fun to watch because it won't be fun for for the Eskimos and their fans if if they do lose Riley. Hey, I, I played that Camp Talbot clip off the top, Kelly. Uh, I know. I know you had your own game last night, and that I, yep. I, I want to get into that story and how it ties into an Oilers story as well. But you heard the Talbot clip, and the phrase I used after the the game with Rob yesterday was that the Oilers dug in. I mean, yeah, they still gave up 35 shots, but. There weren't a lot of dangerous opportunities, and by dug-in, I mean they weren't fishing for pucks. They made sure they always got a body on somebody in front of the net. They tried to deny as many clean looks as possible. Hitchcock challenged them to play for their goalie, help out their goaltender, and, and they did it at least for one game. Hopefully, it continues.
1: Yeah, and you're right. I had my own game, and we'll talk about the Sharks in a minute, I'm sure, but... Uh, I just watched the highlights of the Oilers game, and that's exactly what I thought. Some nights you get more shots, but they really aren't uh, as dangerous, and uh, as he said, the guys were digging in for him. and That's a great feeling, especially when you, you're trying to earn back the respect, because uh, I'm not talking about the pull itself, but I'm talking about the fact that he didn't come back out to the bench uh, after being pulled with still over 14 minutes left. And I understand he apologized, and... He was very remorseful about doing that uh, because he should have been. There's uh, there's no reason why you should go to the uh, the dressing room for the entire time. And uh, he, he learned his lesson. He made a mistake. We all do that. And I was happy to hear that he had apologized to the guys. And he, he sounded uh, very, very sincere in that.
2: Okay, so l- let's get into that. And I know last night David Riddick was polled. I'm watching the Oilers game. So a lot of that chatter I saw on social media and a little bit of the analysis that came up after some people were surprised the game against Chicago. When Talbot got pulled, he played good for two periods. Uh, The Oilers didn't play well in front of him. The, the goal that he got pulled on probably should have counted for goalie interference. So I wonder, shouldn't have counted for goalie interference. So I wonder what Hitch would have done if, if it hadn't accounted and he kind of yeah. shot Hitch a glance as he went down the hallway. And, and then, as he said, he, he stayed in the dressing room and apologized for it later. So you've lived that Kelly. That is, that is so public. You, you know, if a player gets benched, you might not notice for five or 10 minutes, a goal gets pulled. That's in front of 18,000 people. So, how do you look at the reactions to getting pulled, how did you handle it?
1: Okay, so there are many uh, different uh, angles to to take this uh, approach when, you know, okay, so first of all, you mentioned he played so well for two periods. Then his team is terrible, Uh, he gives up three more, I believe, and then he's yanked, and you know, some there's something, and, and I heard Hitch say something uh, same as Bill Peters last night, saying he's looking for a reaction from his team. Well, why embarrass me, the goalie? If I'm the guy that I've actually played quite well, why are you doing that to me? Do some do something else that's uh, just as dramatic uh, or drastic with your uh, your skaters? I mean, I don't understand why coaches often say that that I'm just trying to get a spark out of the guys or give them. You know, something else, a, a different feel. And, you know, why does the goaltender always take the brunt of it? But having said that, there are, you know, I don't know how many times I was pulled, but I'm sure it was plenty. Uh, and I can tell you, most often I deserved it, and I knew it. And I, I could feel it getting away from me, and so I was never disappointed at the coach for making that decision. Uh, the only times that I, and I wasn't ever disappointed, I was always accepting of it, and or I was furious with the coach because I felt I didn't deserve it. And so instead of going down the tunnel into the dressing room and giving Hitchcock a slight glance, my idea would have been to sit on the bench and stare at the guy for a while and let him know how mad I am at him for making that decision because I didn't feel like I deserved it. And so I would have approached it that way. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this before, Reed uh, One of the things when you have great trust between uh, you and your coach and when i had barry melrose he and i had a real strong connection and if i got off to a poor start and perhaps maybe in the first period i let in three or four and i could feel it coming i'd go into his his room right after the first period and say don't you ever think of pulling me and then it puts the onus back on me and i better be lights out from that point on so once you get a good rapport, good relationship, that can happen. But I wouldn't suggest it happens often because uh, I don't think too many guys would have the sort of relationship that Barry and I had.
0: Well,
2: that's interesting that, that you had the relationship that could do that. I, I mean, there's got to be there's got to be a risk there, though, right? That it's going to lead to distrust or even uh, an argument behind the scene. I mean, or sometimes you even yep. see guys chatter not chatter but like they'll melt off at each other right on the bench after a a goalie gets pulled
1: oh totally and you know what that isn't necessarily bad i mean uh, you want competitive people and if you're going to do something like pull a goaltender if you're going to bench a guy i would expect that there's some sort of reaction and i would be really disappointed in myself or a teammate if if he's in that situation and he does nothing and it's just like oh well you know um You know, I'll give you another example of the other way, though, and it just occurred to me now, so I'm saying that. I think that you have to be that way. But I learned a couple years ago uh, when John Gibson, uh, in fact, the year that you guys played Anaheim in the past, in the first round, John Gibson got lit up in one of the games versus Calgary. Oh, versus Calgary, sorry, okay. Laughing and having the greatest time um, on the bench. I couldn't believe it, but, you know, maybe that's the proper attitude. Maybe not putting so much pressure on yourself.
2: So when you were polled and you're sitting there on the bench, did you want to be left alone? Did you or did you like guys to come up and say you'll get the next one, Kelly, or like how what's the best way to treat a polled goaltender?
1: Well, I like sincerity. So if if I had a real good relationship with a guy, for instance, one of the, my favorite guys of all time would have been Tony Granado. And he had a really good feel. He he knew when to come over to me and tap me on the pads or uh you know pat me on the back or do something. And he also knew when I was fuming and that I didn't want anybody to come over to me. So uh but you have to know your teammates and uh I didn't ever like guys that you could tell they they pat you on the uh tap you on the pads but they don't really mean it. So you know, you play with a whole bunch of different guys and, and goaltenders do have a lot more pressure on them, so each guy handles it a little bit differently. So you have to really know your goaltender as well.
2: Kelly Broody joining us on Inside Sports. Of course, we have the Oilers and the Sharks tomorrow on 6.30. The game will start at 5. San Jose beat Calgary last night 5-2. The last two games against Edmonton have been 7-2, and the game before that was 7-4, and that flatters the Oilers. It was 6-1 halfway through the third period. San Jose's good, That's an understatement, uh, Kelly. Uh, I I mean, actually, Rob said last night on overtime open line after the Oilers game that he thinks San Jose will finish first in the Pacific. He thinks they're going to pass Calgary. Give us your thoughts on the Sharks, maybe a bit of a look ahead to tomorrow.
1: Well, they are uh, a really deep team, and I'll give you an example that really blew me away. Uh, I covered them, I think, about three weeks ago. No, it was about uh, five weeks ago when it was uh, New Year's Eve, in fact, in Calgary. And uh, I thought, boy, that uh, Thomas Hurdle is a heck of a player. But I didn't know he was going to be this dominant. So he is uh, centering their, uh, what you're going to call a second line. Rob, you're going to love this line tomorrow. They just dominate. Or, uh, Reed, you're going to love it. So they have Hurdle, Vander Kane on one wing, and... Uh, Don Scoy on the other wing, and this this line just ate apart the Calgary Flames. They, the Flames really had no defense; they couldn't get the puck off them. So they're going to have to really prepare for that because their first line is outstanding. But uh... I'm just I just last night I thought, man, that hurdle line they are made for the playoffs. They are just going to dominate in the series. I talked to Doug Wilson last night. Uh, between the second and third intermission he was my assistant general manager when i uh, finished off my career in san jose and he said you know what kelly whoever we put with hurdle they start playing their best hockey of the season so if it's not kane and Don Scoy, like they had joe thornton on there for a couple shifts last night too uh everybody just excels and uh boy they're so hard they're going to be so hard for the oilers to shut down
2: yeah, this is going to be a tough one. It's going to have to be a really committed game for the Oilers, absolutely, yeah. because uh, they, they obviously don't have, don't have the depth. Hockey Day in Canada for Rogers tomorrow. What's your assignment, Kelly? You, uh, you on air for like 14 hours in a row, or what's going on?
1: You know what? Because I'm just doing the studio show in Toronto, no, I've got a pretty easy day, pretty much uh, uh, normal. I do have, we do have one hit that's a little bit earlier, but uh, when I used to be on site... Um, that was, you know, that was a marathon. That was like doing Olympic games, where you just seem like you're never in your uh, hotel room. You're always at the rink. But I'm not complaining about that uh, hockey day in Canada uh, when I used to be on site. Uh, that was the one weekend I always circled in my calendar. Read. I'd look at it. I'd see where we're going, and I would just sort of plan that whole sort of week, getting ready for it because it was so great. We went to so many cool places that I would not have ever been, and you get. To see the community, you see how the hockey rink is really the fabric of the community. Everybody goes there to watch their son or daughter play hockey, and everybody visits with each other. They have coffee. They're not dropping off kids and rushing home. They, they really hang around the rink, and uh, it's a real cool feel.
2: It's going to be a great day. Kelly, thanks for checking in. Always love your perspective. Thanks for filling us in on what happens when a goalie gets yanked out of the net. Enjoy tomorrow. We'll talk again next week.
1: Okay, thanks, Reed. Talk to you soon,
2: bud. That is Kelly Rudy, our weekly guest here on Inside Sports. Love having him on the show. You can chime in tonight, by the way, by calling 780-496-0063. You can also text 63630. Don't forget, some guests on Inside Sports get gift certificates to Northern Chicken. How would you like brunch Northern Chicken style? buttermilk biscuits, sausage, gravy, and smashed potatoes. Sundays from 11 a.m. until 2, visit NorthChickenYEG.com. Coming up after the 6.30 news, Eskimos General Manager Brock Sunderland. This is Inside Sports.
4: Hi, this is Ryan Eugen-Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 6.30, Chad.
3: Dude
2: with a couple of assists last night, helping the Oilers beat the Minnesota Wild 4-1. Sharks tomorrow at Rogers Place, then a road trip for Edmonton starting in Pittsburgh on Wednesday. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Now the Oilers practiced this afternoon at the downtown community rink. They did not name a starting goaltender. Ken Hitchcock did not name a starting goaltender when asked. It would be hard for me to imagine why you wouldn't go with Cam Talbot, given how he bounced back yesterday against the Minnesota Wild. Whoever plays, they will need to be better, both goal turners, than they have been on home ice lately. The Oilers, as a team, have been horrid on home ice. How about this split here? On uh, you know home ice, last 12 games that Rogers plays for the Oilers, they are 2-10. and their last 12 road games, well, actually not bad, six, four, and two. This is probably going to come down to the Oilers being better at home. Hitch tried to explain the struggles.
4: You know, you don't want to say you got to bring your road game onto home, but I, I think we, uh, we get caught up in. In being something that we're not at home, and so we have to figure that out. I, and, that, and sometimes you go through seasons where it's not. We're we're more than comfortable to win on the road and play on the road. We've got a good road record. Um, we play a, a, a different game on the road. We, I, you know, we we get impatient at home and uh, and don't stay on task at times, and it hurts us. And. And we got a lot of experienced teams, you know, the team we're playing tomorrow, they're, they're as good as it is in the National Hockey League and probably uh, playing as well as anybody in the National Hockey League right now. So we, we got our work cut out for tomorrow just to be competitive. And But I, I'd like to see us play with uh, more uh, grit and, in the right areas, and, and rather than than try to, uh, try to hit home runs. I mean, we, that's the one thing on the road we we do really well. We don't try to hit home runs. And at home, we're trying to do that. And um, and it gets away on us sometimes.
2: Well, I think that's a good way to put it, that they play impatient at home and they, they try to hit home runs. I know probably a lot of you are, are tired about hearing the word grit. It's probably become overused in hockey circles over the last couple of decades. But what he's saying is that they need to do what they did last night in... In Minnesota, dig in. Be solid in front of the net. Be sure about making defensive plays. Get in the way. Do something to disrupt the other team's attack. Don't fish for pucks with one hand, because if you get it on that 5% chance you're going to get it, you might get a two-on-one or a three-on-two or a breakaway the other way. And I think that's what Hitch means when he says don't try to hit home runs. Don't try to make some explosive, amazing play that, while might be excited... But while it might be exciting, is actually has a very low percentage chance of succeeding. So hopefully the Oilers can bring that mentality tomorrow against the Sharks. If they don't... I mean, it's, it's going to get bad. I mean, you saw what Chicago did to the Oilers in the third period. They don't have the firepower that San Jose does. They have the top-end firepower. They don't have it through their lineup like the Sharks do. So that's challenge number one for the Oilers tomorrow. By the way, a couple of guys didn't practice today. Jack Michaels will have the update on that in the next half hour. And uh, Morley Scott sat down with Eskimos General Manager Brock Sunderland this afternoon. It is the big off-season story in the CFL What will happen with Mike Riley? Where is he going to go? I think it's down to one of two teams. He stays with the Eskimos or he joins the BC Lions. He officially becomes a free agent on Tuesday. Sunderland coming up after the news right here on Inside Sports.
3: This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched
2: the Oilers getting ready for the Sharks tomorrow night. Only game in the NHL this evening is scoreless. 12 minutes in, that's the Hurricanes taking on the Rangers. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. Hey, don't forget the Oilers have that autograph session coming up at West Edmonton Mall. That is on Family Day Monday, February 18th. It'll be between 1 and 3 in the afternoon. You can have one item autograph per player, whether it's something that you bring or a player photo supplied at each table. Now, I should tell you this, though, there are some different Different rules for Connor McDavid because I think he might be in demand for something like this. So find those out by going to WEM.ca Oilers. W E M.ca Oilers. The autograph session at West Ed, 1 to 3 on Monday. The mall's going to open at 6 a.m. if you want to get in there and line up. Okay, your quarterback. Will he still be your quarterback? In a few days, when the season starts, Mike Riley is a pending free agent in the CFL. The Eskimos General Manager Brock
5: Sunderland sat down this afternoon with Morley Scott. Let's just talk about what you've accomplished so far. Are you pretty happy with what you've been able to do as far as your own free agents go and getting obviously one big one in tank, but some of the other ones, special team guys especially, you had a good run on those guys last week. Have you? Are you pretty happy with the re-signings you've been able to accomplish going into free agency? Yeah, so far I'm,
0: I'm good with what we've done. Obviously we're waiting for the big domino that everybody knows about with Mike's decision and that's put a holding pattern on a lot of of things so um, happy we have those guys back. Obviously a lot of work to be done and you know our lo- sleeves are still rolled up and we're still actively talking to a lot of guys on our team and also budgeting and planning if other guys from other teams potentially hit the market you have to have a plan for all the above.
5: You mentioned Mike Mike, and the other quarterbacks who are free agents. Those seem to be the linchpins and, and everybody's just waiting for that to fall into place first. How difficult is it for you and other general managers that are in the same position trying to, to budget for Bringing their guy back or going out and getting another guy at that position—very challenging because you're you're working on a hypothetical instead of a concrete. So, as I've mentioned
0: before, you have right now. What I'm doing is there's multiple salary caps with multiple versions of who a potential quarterback can be. So that makes it. Truth be told, that's why you haven't seen a ton of re-signings here just yet because I just don't know for certain what what our cap is going to be and what our budget is at that quarterback position. So it makes it challenging, and the truth is is that it's not just me going through this. I mean, you know, places that don't have their guy back officially just yet, the only two... Really is Hamilton and Winnipeg. So, um, you know, the rest of us are going through the same thing. Fair
5: to say that when that first domino falls, it's going to get
0: pretty hectic pretty fast? I, I would think so. I, You know, it's such uncharted waters right now. I don't think this has ever happened, not only in the CFL, but I can't imagine it. I've never seen this even in the NFL or any other football league where franchise quarterbacks are all hitting the market at the same time. So I think there is quite a bit of uncertainty across the league.
5: Have you gotten any indication from agents, especially Riley's agents, about the timing of things? And if it will go to Tuesday, if it will go, uh, if it'll end Tuesday, if it will go past Tuesday? No, haven't had a timeline for
0: certain just yet. I, my guess is I think it will be sooner than what's anticipated. I think Tuesday and Wednesday I think you'll see some some quarterback sign, but that's a guess. It's not certainty.
5: Uh, what's the day like for you on on Tuesday? Tell me about how you're going to approach things on Tuesday, not just it's a unique situation I know, but just in general, how do you approach things Tuesday? Well, it's
0: a wait-and-see on, on our domino, obviously. And then from that standpoint, we start seeing who hits the market. Um, hopefully by then we have some of our guys wrapped up. And uh, we're close on two to three to four guys right now that I think are going to be signed back before we hit the market. And then at that point, if there's people that we're targeting on other teams, we have to see if they do hit the market. And at that point, you get in contact with either of them or their representation. So it'll be a, a very busy day. Um, and then it, it'll probably go into the evening and even into Wednesday. Um, one just because I think across the league, as we mentioned earlier, everybody's waiting for the quarterback position at a lot of organizations, and then two, just the number and sheer volume of free agency of free agents, excuse
5: me, this year, it's it, it's kind of a year like no other. Fair to assume that if uh, you do sign Mike Riley, you'll be less active in free agency, and if you don't, you might be a little bit more active. Yeah, very fair. Um, I think if if Mike is here, then
0: um, you know I. I'll just say it, that it's very obvious less money to go around. If Mike isn't here, then um, we're probably going to be very active, targeting some, some our own guys and also potentially players from other teams if they do hit the market. And you're still talking? With Mike? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, still, still in contact with uh, his representation. And, uh, and I guess you just you're, everybody's in a waiting pattern right now until Tuesday, right? Waiting, holding pattern right now and, and just, you know, I know this. He has all the information. I've been to Seattle twice to see him. Uh, once by myself and then once with uh, Coach Moss and Jordan McSimmick, so you know I feel very confident Mike has all the answers he needs from us at this point. If he doesn't, he'll circle back. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, it, it won't be a snare where we're outbid because I've literally told their their camp name your price.
5: I imagine you've gone over the list of free agents, and is this like, uh, for lack of a better phrase, like a fantasy draft kind of? You just kind of rank your guys. You know where you need help, and Mm -hmm. you kind of rank the guys that are available and say, okay, that's the guy I'm going to call first. That's the guy I'm going to call second. Yeah, I think every team approaches it a little bit different. I I stack the boards, similar to how we do the draft
0: is we go position by position, and then we stack every guy, and then we slot our own guys in there as well. So we stack them and say, how do we compare? Um, When you're evaluating – professional football players to other pros you go is he better than equal or less whereas in college drafts you're looking at the potential of a player so this one's a little easier because you just evaluate and we say do we have better or are other guys better than what we have and then you go from there so we stack by value and overall grade at each position and if the time comes on Tuesday where other guys are available then we look at it and then you put a value to it so we say we think he's you know just a position here we think this guy's the best middle linebacker in the league this is what I think the value is if they're available you make the phone call and say hey we have an interest in so and so and this is what we think he's worth and then the negotiation begins
5: I have this vision in my head of nine general managers standing sitting at their desk with their phone in front of them and when the clock hits 10 o'clock they pick up the receiver and dial agents is that what it's like basically
0: yeah yeah, it's pretty fast and furious I mean that's actually pretty accurate is it's um, non-stop the phones are very busy and um, oftentimes you're on the phone getting texts from another agent and you know sometimes who, players who do represent themselves are Actively calling, and it's a little bit of all of the above. It's it's uh, it's hectic.
5: Are you are you doing this by yourself, or does Jason get involved with this as well? Does he make some calls? Does he reach out to players who are free agents as well? Jason
0: gets involved, and then our new director of player personnel, David Turner, was up here for about ten days, and we evaluated every position and stacked it uh, the way we saw accordingly. And we have Jason involved. Jordan McSimmick lives here. Um, He's involved. I call position coaches and they evaluate each position and they send us their stack rankings and then I reach out to them. If there's close, then I call and just say, Hey, we know our guy, you know, what did you see on film on on another team's player and, and how would you stack them? where do they fit. The the unique thing this year is we have a new defense coordinator so new schemes and, and players are going to fit in a little differently so that adds to it a little bit.
5: You played the game. Uh, is this, as a general manager just like your game now? Do you get juiced for this? Do you get excited to get your competitive juices flowing uh, come Tuesday to, to make these calls and to try and get this guy ahead of somebody else? 100%. You
0: know, this is why you, why you do it is you're competitive and game day is still the funnest day because wins and losses are what we're in this for, but yeah, I'm I'm highly competitive and and this gets
5: the juices flowing for sure. Brock, thanks for this. Appreciate it. Uh, Good luck to you over the weekend and on Tuesday. Appreciate it. Thanks for your time.
2: Okay, there's Brock Sunderland talking to our Morley Scott. Sunderland, the general manager of the Edmonton Eskimos and uh, the key thing for me in there was that the Eskimos, according to Brock, will not be outbid for Mike Riley. That they can go as high as they want money-wise To keep riley in green and gold there have obviously been numerous reports today Uh, neither uh they've not been confirmed by neither sunderland nor ed hervey who is the general manager of the bc lions that riley has been given permission to talk to other teams Um, i think that would make sense and it would be courteous of the eskimos to do that it doesn't necessarily mean that he's leaving look it it comes i I really don't think this is going to come down to money for riley He's, he's going to be very well paid. And I, I think this is going to come down to does he want to keep playing to the Eskimos and have a very good chance if he plays three, four, five, six more years here to top the Eskimos in every major statistical category for quarterbacks and maybe if he wins another great cup or two, be considered one of the franchise all-time greats or maybe on a very short list of two or three? Does he want to try to do that? Or is the, the, the sway, and it's a very important sway, of being closer to his off-season home in Seattle and taking into account that you know his wife is going to want to go to games? Is it a two-hour drive? Is it packing the children for a two-hour flight? What is it going to come down to? Riley's obviously, I mean, if he if he really, 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 really was sure about Edmonton, he, he just would have signed by now, I would think. So clearly he's considering leaving. I've, you know, I talked to a lot of people, people who are closer to the Eskimo situation than, than than I am. And I have heard everything over the last two months from it's a slam dunk that he's staying close to a slam dunk that he's staying up to it's maybe 70% that he's going to join the BC Lions. I don't. I would guess that Riley himself doesn't know. Uh, he may even have talked to other teams besides the Lions and the Eskimos, but I don't think that any of those teams realistically have a chance to sign him. And this could set into motion an incredible sequence of events regarding quarterbacks changing teams. W- where does... Kolaros go? Where does Harris go? Uh, where does Bo Levi go? Is Bo Levi even in the CFL? Where does Jonathan Jennings go? Where might Travis Lule go for maybe his final season in the CFL? If if Riley moves, the, the Eskimos are looking for a quarterback right away. Right away then who is it going to be? All things to watch in the next few days. It is 6.45. Jack Michaels with the latest from Oilers practice when we get back. <laughs>
1: You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. Now that is an excellent guitar riff. On going, come away, come away, going.
3: The ship VCR. Come on, the wind.
2: Going Great stuff, Dallas. Now, are pro wrestlers
3: allowed to use popular songs for their intros? Uh, the licensing is a little different than it used to be, but back in the 80s, they used to do it all the time. Interesting. All the time. But the Ultimate Warrior, he had some... Yeah, well, Ultimate Warrior instrumental, stuff Instrumental. Was, was that composed by somebody? That, that was composed by a guy by the name of Jim Johnston.
2: And this is amazing he wrote, You know this. He,
3: he wrote all of the music for WWF for all of the stars back in the 80s and the 90s. So like you know, Ultimate Warrior, Bret Hitman Hart's theme, Shawn Michaels' theme, so on and so forth. This is amazing that you know that. I'm actually impressed. There's an amazing couple of podcasts out where they've done interviews with the guy, and his stories on how he wrote the music and that stuff is just incredible. He's a fan of the Beatles, believe it or not. Oh, nice. All right. Oilers practiced this
2: afternoon at the downtown community rink. It was a 2.30 practice much later than usual because they got in late last night after beating the Minnesota Wild. Jack Michaels was there. Jack, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Always a pleasure, Reed. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, good to have you on the show. The Oilers getting a much-needed victory last night. Back out there at the community rink this afternoon, 5 o'clock game tomorrow against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, I guess a couple guys... taking the day off today maybe a maintenance day for a couple of players yeah I
3: mean there are be more to it than that. I mean, obviously Russell was sent careening into the goalpost by Jason Zucker in last night's Minnesota game. Uh, you know, Jujar Kara, we've seen him miss the odd day. I, you know, he might be a little bit banged up. Matt Benning left a shade early. So I think there are some guys that, you know, it was a physical game in St. Paul and uh, I think some guys might be feeling the effects. I think there will be some game time decisions uh, for Saturday. Saturday's still against the San Jose Sharks. But, you know, you said a much-needed win, absolutely, uh, and and especially considering whom the opponent was. That wasn't, you know, an Eastern Conference game. As you know, Reed, the Oilers are heading out for three out east uh, next week, and, and, and you just had to get some points head-to-head. And you also, it's a bonus this time of year, Reed, as you know, with so many three-point games, it's absolutely clutch that Edmonton was able to accomplish that in regulation.
2: Well, and and nice to see them hold the lead in the third period and uh, get a two-goal lead back shortly after Minnesota cut it to one with the goal by Joel Erickson-Eck. And I used a phrase last night, Jack, it looked to me like they dug in. I, I know that there was still a high number of shots against but they just looked like they dug in. And what I mean by that, they, they, they made sure they got in the right position. They had two hands on their sticks. They you know, were even given a little bump on a guy to throw him off from a scoring area in the slot. And because it, obviously that game in Chicago was a perfect example, there weren't just scoring chances in the third period. There were open scoring chances. And, and I thought they worked a lot harder to make the Wild earn what they were trying to get last night.
3: Well, and there were open scoring chances in Philadelphia as well. I-, I thought the Oilers' third period against Minnesota resembled the third period they played in Montreal, where were it not for a puck handling error by Miko Koskin, and I think Edmonton, you know, breezes through the final five minutes much the way they did the first 15 of the third period against Montreal. I really felt like, it, and you mentioned the shot clock, I thought it was extremely deceptive. I actually thought Minnesota's best chances, they didn't even hit hit the net on. I mean Eric Ack had a couple of sitters in the hash marks and missed the net by nine miles and and I really felt like the shots and I think they were thirty six twenty three not indicative of the flow of play at all in my opinion. I I felt like for Cam Talbot that was not necessarily a physically taxing game. And I think it's a credit to the oilers. I really even that even a couple shots in tight I know they scored on one in tight But a couple of them were like ricochets that kind of trickled in on Talbot and that he was able to cover. I really didn't feel like they had much going in front of the net
2: at all last night in St. Paul. Oilers play-by-play voice Jack Michaels joining us on Inside Sports. He'll be calling the game tomorrow, 5 o'clock, against the San Jose Sharks. Okay, Jack, we had this discussion three weeks ago before the game against Calgary, and, uh, you know, I've been really worried when the Oilers go up against a higher-tier team. You know, they've done... Well, they've had ups and downs, but they've been in more games against teams around them or beneath them in the standings. Hasn't gone so well against you know teams who are top two or three in their divisions. And man, the last couple of games against San Jose, there, there was seven four, but I mean it was six one halfway through the third, and then a seven two game as well. So I talked about digging in. They got to be ready to dig in tomorrow because they know what the Sharks can do.
3: Well, they trailed 7-2 in both of those games, you mentioned, Reid. I mean, you're absolutely right. The last two haven't been close. Edmonton has not been in San Jose's class. I just have a feeling this one's going to be different. Number one, I think there's a very good chance Eric Carlson is going to miss Saturday night's game. I I don't think he's going to play. So I think, you know, the Sharks, you know how it how it went for Edmonton in the short term without Oscar Clefbaum? You know, they were able to kind of withstand I look, Carlson's in another league, but I think that might, you know, catch up to San Jose at one point. And I especially you know, at home with McDavid and Dry subtle back together, you know, Tim Heed, Radeem Schimmick, these are guys that have had good seasons filling in and are and are gonna you know going to be promising young players but you know ultimately they're not eric carlson and it's hard to replace as as we found out in edmonton earlier this year it's hard to replace 26 to 28 minutes let alone uh you know the, the the skill that eric carlson brings so uh Edmonton is going to be in tomorrow night's game. The one area that San Jose is going to have an advantage in, you know, at this particular point in the season and probably moving forward over the next year or two is the balance. I mean, the Sharks have Timo Meyer sitting at 19. He's going to be their fifth 20-goal scorer. Only Calgary has four in the rest of the NHL. And they've got, I think, seven or eight guys clustered right around 50 points Reed, You talk about depth on offense and whack-a-mole offense and depth in scoring and secondary scoring, no one in the National Hockey League, including Tampa Bay, including Calgary, no one does it better than San Jose. That's where the Sharks have a decided edge tomorrow night. All right, Jack. Appreciate you checking in, buddy. I'll
2: see you at the rink tomorrow. Sounds like a plan, Reed. Jack Michaels, play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Oilers on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. Well, Sharks are good. Oilers have not done well against them. Well, they did beat them in overtime a couple of months ago. My worry pants are hiked up as high as they have ever been for that game tomorrow. Like to my eyebrows. I'm having trouble seeing because the band, the waistband of my worry pants is in the way. It's going to be a tough one. Hey, this is going to be fun. We're going to have Gord Ash on the show when we get back. Former GM of the Toronto Blue Jays. He's going into the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame. And this week's 630 Chet MVP is a swimmer. who is
0: With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.
2: 90 years of age, you'll meet Kathy Crawford a bit later. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.